0: Hey everyone, great news. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Hipsters of the Coast. They're the mages with the curly beards and the vegan potion options. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. They have a unique perspective on things and Kitchen Table Magic is honored to be joining their lineup. If you're listening to me right now from Hipsters of the Coast, I'm pleased to meet you. You're going to love all of the guests I have lined up for Season 3. And be sure to check out past episodes at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the Hot Sea blog, head on over to hipstersofthecoast.com to get strategy and content for all of your favorite formats. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Are you looking for a modern, legacy, commander, or standard staple? Card Kingdom has it in stock. Looking for that perfect dino to crew your pirate ship helicopter Aether Train? Ixalan is out now, so order your singles from our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com/slash KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games for weekly legacy and standard events. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Jadeen Klumperr, pro player, writer and tournament grinder on the SCG tour. Jadeen is a skilled player and rose to prominence when she got to the finals of GP Chicago 2014. And ever since, Jadeen's been grinding it out at GP's, the Pro Tour, and on the SCG Tour. Jadeen has written for TCG Player and Star City Games for years and regularly guests on Emma Handy's stream. Jadeen talks to us about the valuable lessons she learned playing competitive magic and tells us some hilarious stories about playing on the Pro Tour. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the Quiet Fish, Jadeen Klomperens. Hey everyone, welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I am here with Jadeen Klumperins. Jadeen, how are you doing?
1: I'm all right. Hi everyone who's listening.
0: How are you, Sam? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: And where are you joining us from?
1: I am at my parents' house in Michigan right
0: now. Okay, very cool. Well, like all things, I wanted to jump in and start from the beginning. Jadeen, where did you grow up and how did you find magic?
1: Uh, I grew up here in the Michigan area, like right where I am right now. I found magic through Yu-Gi-Oh! I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Like grade school, high school, I was like, Yu-Gi-Oh! is great. And then I went to college and, and did a little bit of research. And I'm like, huh, college I'm going to doesn't have a Yu-Gi-Oh! scene, but it has a magic club. Whatever. What's the difference? Card game's a card game. So I started playing <laughs> magic then because... You know, it's like the way I knew to meet friends. Like I was like, how do I meet people at a college? I went to college like eight hours away from where I grew up. So I I didn't know anybody going. And I was like really worried about knowing anyone. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to meet people? And I was like, clearly I started playing magic. That ought to do it. And it
0: did. That is really cool. What did you major in?
1: My major jumped around a lot. I started in chemistry. My degree ended up being in mathematics. Uh, It was computer science for a hot minute in there, too, but graduated with a bachelor's in math in the end.
0: Well, uh, definitely. I'm so interested in understanding kind of like the way you think about magic and like how you are as a competitor. Have you ever thought about whether or not you could use your math degree in playing magic?
1: For somebody with like a strong math background, I think I use surprisingly little math and magic. Uh, one of the things that like appeals to me about magic really is like it's so different than like what I do the rest of the time. But like I try pretty hard to play mostly on intuition and not numbers. My approach really is like kind of use numbers outside of the game, like death building, thinking about it, studying lines. And then like in the game, I just forget all of it and just go with what feels right.
0: That's really cool. Jadeen, when did you decide to start playing competitively? I mean, everyone does their thing when they find the game, they start playing like you said, like at like a club or some people go to their local store. Like when did you sit down and you were like, you know what, I'm really gonna become like a pro here.
1: I played Yu Gi Oh pretty competitively, like in the I mean I didn't start playing Yu Gi Oh competitively by any means, but Towards the end of high school, I was like, you know, going to the Yu-Gi-Oh! Grand Prix equivalents as often as I could, uh, doing regionals and stuff and like considered myself a pretty serious Yu-Gi-Oh! player. So like I switched to Magic and I already had that like competitive mindset, but I also didn't actually like switch. I was like, all right, so I'm going to play Magic at school. But when I'm home for the summer, like Yu-Gi-Oh! stole my game. That's, That's what I do. The club that I ended up playing at a lot, like drafted, we did It was great. It was like $9 drafts Friday at seven, and then after it finished, it'd be another one, and same thing on Saturday. So I just did like four drafts a week, and they were like pretty cutthroat. I mean, like the people (laughs) were, (laughs) the club was like legitimately good, and like, you know, it was unsanctioned, but it wasn't like casual drafting. Like these people were trying to be good and like, we eventually started going to PTQs or eventually started. They were already going to PTQs. I eventually figured out how to play the game enough to feel comfortable joining them. So you could say I was like competitive from the outset, but not like super competitive.
0: That's pretty cool. And when was your first PTQ? Oh,
1: geez. Um, so I went to college in 2008, like fall of 2008. So there was probably like 2009 or 2010 that I went to my first limited PTQ. I didn't start playing Constructed for many, many years. I was like limited only for a long time. Really? Yeah, I know. i don't like really bad at limited now and all I do is constructed. But yeah, I started with a limited only.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, did you ever think to yourself that if you like crushed an event at limited, the first thing you'd have to do would be to play constructed?
1: No, you know, I didn't think about the Pro Tour back then. Like I went to these PTQs, but like the idea that winning it meant going to the Pro tour just like wasn't in my head because you know it wasn't like the game that I considered my main game. I was mostly like going to be as competitive as I could, hang out with like my friends and like try and be as good as I could. but like the, the leap that you know, if something actually went right here, I would be going to the Pro tour just that just never occurred to me.
0: Huh, that is so interesting. Did you feel any like level up moments early on in like your playing career when you were like playing limited and then eventually decided to play constructed? Like any like specific level up moments that you could remember like in your skill level?
1: Okay, so this basically doesn't count, but I'll share it anyway. So I get to college. and I'm like, I don't know. how, So I show up and I like watch or whatever. And I don't play any games. I barely know how to play. Uh, I end up going to like a comic store the next week. And buy like a starter deck, like a cons- like they did pre-cons back then or whatever, like the different decks for the sets. And I buy one of those. And then I like look at it in my dorm room, show up the next week. And I'm like, hey, anybody want to play some magic? This one kid, uh, I say kid because he was actually in high school at the time. He was like a junior in high school, but he lived in the town. I was like, sure, I'll play. So he has a devoted druid... Plus uh oh geez. Quill spike? Is that the name of it? But like some infinite combo with devoted droid. I mean I guess that's flashback to moderns these days, but this is long, long time ago. Anyway, I beat it with my stupid pre-con, and I felt really good. <laughs> So, that was like the first level up, like, wow, this guy like built a deck and I just have a stupid pre-con and I won. <laughs> um, I ended up dating that guy for two years.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. years
1: down the road. But, you know, I got him with that story a lot.
0: Oh God, that's
1: too funny. Um, let's see. Actual, like, serious already playing the game level ups. Um, it's just, I think every time I win a game where I didn't feel like I could win, it's always leads to like some extent of a level up. And it happens like pretty often. But like you just stare at a board and you're like, I don't understand what can possibly happen for me to win this game from this spot. And then you just kind of watch it come together. And I always feel like I take something away from that. Uh, a lot of people say they lo- learn the most from losing or whatever. You hear that in a lot of disciplines. I think I learned the most in Magic from winning when I don't understand how until it happens. I think one of the first lessons I got from that was just, uh, and I'm not going to be able to remember the details, but just some spot. Where I knew a lot of the cards in their hand for whatever reason or had like a couple reads and my hand was awful. And I'm like, everything I do, they have a good answer to. I can like cast this creature and they do this and like just everything I do feels really bad. So I think I got very frustrated and just like did nothing and passed. And somehow that led to me winning the game. And, uh, like I wrote an article like a couple years ago, uh, called the art of doing nothing. And now like when to do nothing and just like not take any of the options in front of you is like, something I think about a lot. It's one of my favorite things to do in the game that came from a time when I just frustratedly passed the turn and then realized it was the best thing I could have done.
0: (laughs) That is so interesting. Yeah, you also mentioned about kind of like when your opponent has a read on you or when you have a read on your opponent. Um, I know that sometimes if you're like um, at like a pre-TQ or something like that and like the person like doesn't know you, they're from like out of state or you go somewhere else to like another like LGS that you're not normally at and people kind of look at you funny because they're really nervous because you're like who is this person? And then you just Mm -hmm. like crush the first four rounds because just nobody knows you. (laughs)
1: Like Mm
0: -hmm. no one can get a read on you at all.
1: Yeah, that's a good time is what that is. (laughs) One of the better things.
0: Fast forward a little bit. And in 2014, you got to the finals of GP Chicago. Yeah,
1: that was awesome.
0: And that was super dang because that was top eight. It earned you a Pro Tour invite. You were on camera, you were playing and you were really like you were about to win, like possibly you're about to win your first GP. I mean, kind of what was that like?
1: Uh, It was like an absolute whirlwind. Uh, So it was one of those like pretty big GPs uh, where, you know, like X and two is not necessarily going to make it in. Mm-hmm. Started day one, I know. I remember talking to somebody on the phone like after that and I was like, you know, I don't even feel like I played that well today. Like things just kind of lined up. I knew I made a couple of mistakes, but I knew my deck really well. Uh, this was like a couple months after Grand Prix Cincinnati, where I played the same deck, which was Mono Black Devotion, and lost two win and ins in a row, uh, for the top eight. So I was twelve and one and then I lost two in a row to go to twelve and three. So fast forward two months. Grand Prix Chicago start nine and zero, and I was like remarkably like just not happy that (laughs) Saturday night. I was like, I don't feel like I played very well. I don't know how you ever do anything. I'm nine and zero, but I'm sure it's gonna fall apart tomorrow. I was, I was just not happy. So I lost the first round of day two, if I remember correctly, and then I lost another one real quick. Like it was either the round after that or the round after that. But I had to win like three in a row. But I played really well on that second day, and I did end up winning three in a row. But it actually got kind of anti Round 15 was barely a match. Uh, it was one of the matchups that I thought was really good for Mono Black. Uh, Jun Monsters, if anybody listening remembers the uh, Theros Return to Ravnica standard format. And my opponent, like, mulligan to five, mulligan to four. Uh, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. And, you know, and that was it. It was done. But, like, I didn't think I was going to make the top eight, and I wasn't thinking about it. That was my pro tour invite just thirteen two was enough to get the invite i was really happy and just nobody knew if that was going to get me into top eight or not it ended up working i don't remember what place anymore but it was like pretty low i think 10 x and twos so like two people went x and two and didn't make it and then in the top eight i beat the guy who was one of the people who beat me in the winning in a couple months ago in cincinnati top four i had a really good match but like, it was just such a blur at that point. Just like the matches were just going and I was just playing until the finals were over. And I was like, I guess I didn't win, but I'm really happy. It was so awesome.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, like the, the experience itself was a blur. But you were, I mean, if, cause it, was, if it was Theros, then you were playing Model Black Devotion. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so like with the Gary and everything, like mm-hmm. that yeah. was just that 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 deck is a blur too, because you're just like, oh, I win. It's turn five, I win, or you're like or you or you win on turn six. <laughs> it's pretty quick anyways.
1: Yeah, that that was a that was an awesome deck. It was one of the better standard formats I've ever played. I mean, I guess I won a lot in it, so I'm biased, but I did really enjoy that standard format. <laughs> and like some of the games were really intricate. The mono black mirror was really sweet. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, as history goes, you didn't win, but you still had a great time and you got a Pro Tour invite. Which Pro Tour did you end up going to?
1: Uh, Pro Tour Konzatark here in Honolulu, Hawaii because I just ran really good and got into the Hawaii Pro Tour.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. no, If you're going to want to win any Pro Tour, you're going to want to go to the Hawaii Pro Tour.
1: Yeah. No, it was awesome. The Hawaii Convention Center just like so good. It's like It has like a roof that's like... I want to call it like a botanical garden, but like that's not reasonable at all. But it feels like just like a garden on the roof of this convention center that you can go like hang out in in the Hawaii sun between (laughs) rounds. It's so amazing.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Did you end up having to find like a playtest group for um, or a team for ProTourCons or like how did you go about doing something like that?
1: Yeah, I was invited to play on a uh, team. I felt very fortunate that somebody reached out to me because I would have had not had the slightest idea where to start. Uh, Looking for people to play with or whatever. Not the best group in retrospect, but, you know, it worked and we got some good testing in. Yeah, we went down to Hawaii like a week and a half early or something and just kind of holed up and played a lot of cards didn't explore a lot of hawaii but you know, <laughs> i was really okay with that
0: okay so jaden you and your team had all of your constructed decks ready and you just had to buy a bunch of limited product like like booster boxes and sealed boosters and things like that
1: yeah for the most part i mean tracking down constructed cards wasn't easy but like we could handle it like most of us you know new people and i had somebody local who was very generous and willing to lend me basically all the cards i could even think about possibly needing but yeah like cards weren't released on motor yet had to draft so we just needed like a bunch but a couple people either knew people in game stores or uh worked in a game store themselves and like were able to secure like a case of cards or something so we had it covered but i could see that being a really hard problem
0: so did you just like load your suitcases up with like cases of like magic product
1: you know i didn't ask i didn't bring any magic product myself and it was there when we got there so i mean i assume like they had to fly it must have been on the plane but like I wasn't involved in those details.
0: <laughs> and then, did you lock your constructed deck in like before that, or you had to like play test a lot and then you like locked your deck in like the night before you went to the Pro Tour?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So, I think by the time we flew to Hawaii, most of us had it down to like two or three decks. So, we didn't have to bring a ton of cards and then kind of wintered it down from there. I mean, I in particular was like pretty lock set am playing Jeskai. So, it wasn't that difficult. And uh, I think, yeah, I had. I was 100% playing just Guy within like 3 or 4 days of the pro tour. And then the rest of it was just finishing out the last few cards of the list.
0: That's really cool. And how did you do at that pro tour?
1: Um, I went... I did well enough to make like $1,500, but not well enough for them to invite me back. Uh, I think X and 5 is the was the cutoff for a re-invite. And I went like 10 and 6, which was like 43rd place or something. And like I made a sizable chunk of money, but no reinvite because that's just the pro tour life.
0: Oh, interesting! Did you get to play against any like interesting pros or have funny stories about them?
1: <laughs> um, well, aside from a very embarrassing mistake in the second draft, um, I played. I played against a lot of big names, so I finished day one of the Pro Tour six and two. Gets back to the second day, and you know it's not great, but it's actually a spot where you can be reasonably thinking about maybe finishing pretty well. You know, if you did that again, you would be like top 16 range and just like pretty happy. Yeah. So second draft, uh, I'm sitting, if I recall, next to Patrick Chapin, who beat me for the pod day one. Uh, I played one of the best matches of Magic I've ever played in my life against Chapin in the day one draft pod. And it was actually this really cool game that came down to him having Crater's Claws that I knew about. Uh, Crater's Claws, for those unaware, is a red and spell that's just a fireball. But well, it has um Ferocious, so if you have a four-power creature, it deals two more. And basically, I screwed up sideboarding and didn't bring in my like, counter spell for it. And it's like just this hugely impactful card. So we came down to this spot in the third game where I knew he had Crater's Claws because he was playing like he had Crater's Claws. There wasn't a down in my mind. And I had no way to deal with it. If he just cast it and killed me, I was dead. So I had to try and like walk this line of representing the card that should be in my deck but wasn't that would deal with it, like Disdainful Stroke or something like that. So I had to like make him think that he had one more turn than he had, because he would obviously pull the trigger on his last turn before. And, you know, just like, well, I'm going to lose. So let's make her have it. And I screwed it up and like put a little too much pressure on. And he finally shrugged his shoulders and went for it. And I was like, yeah, you got me. Oh, wow. That was a really cool match. And I felt like, I mean, if you want a level up story, I felt like I leveled up like three times in that match. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then afterwards, I beat myself up plenty for not actually having the card I would have needed to win the game. But that's okay. Uh, so fast forward, sitting next to Chapin in this next draft, we're drafting. Uh, I end up drafting Teamer, which is the color combination he was in the day before, and he beat me with. Uh, so I'm playing Teamer, and I'm like, I guess Chapin, because he was passing me, I'm like, I guess Chapin doesn't want to be Teamer. You know, I'm like feeling pretty good about my deck, and uh, I end up taking this High Spider Mantis, like fourth pick. For those who don't know, High Spider Mantis is a 3-3 Flampler. Uh, So it has Flying and Trample and it's like a pretty strong card and I was like pretty excited to pick it up. I think I picked it up like fourth and thought it was late. It was like pretty
0: excited. (laughs) You're like, why is this hot tag wheeling? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. Pretty happy about all that. Round nine. I build my deck uh, and I think it's like, okay, it's not great, but I think I can probably 2-1 again like I did yesterday, which is what I'm hoping for because... I don't think I'm very good at limited. didn't then and was just like, I hope I can escape somehow with an above 50% record. So round nine, I'm playing against Li Tian. He beats me game one. Game two, I'm like, okay, I'm like in an okay spot. And I like draw, and I'm like, okay. So I go to play my High Spire Mantis. Like I tap the lands, and I'm holding the card in my hand. And all of a sudden, before I cast it, I realized for the first time that High Spire Mantis costs two red-white when I am in blue, red, and green I just have no way in my deck to cast the card. <laughs> I thought the card was blue-green. Like it was just like, no. I, was, I thought it was red-blue, I think. And it was just like, I, I don't know. I was like, oh my god, what am I doing? And I just like, oh. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody sheepishly untap their lands, but like this was probably the most sheepish I've ever been in my entire life. Like, um, um, it's your turn, I guess. And then I got crushed. I mean, like, I had a card in my hand that I couldn't pass. The worst part was that I had to play it in the next two rounds. I had to start this card because you have to play the deck you registered. So I'm like, God, I hope I don't draw the high spider mantis. If somebody played a discard effect, do I just concede instead of showing them the shame? Um, <laughs> I ended up one two that draft and felt so relieved that I salvaged a win with my register and uncastable in day two of the Pro Tour. Oh my gosh. Ooh, that was bad.
0: That is hilarious. So did you just completely forgot about the Madison bowl that is white? Or you just <laughs>
1: I I don't know. I just must have like really not thought that was a red-white card. Like I still can't explain it. I must have thought it was like red-blue.
0: You were just looking at that card. You were like, okay, this is just Mantis Rider's little cousin. It's all good. It's red-blue. It's fine. And then you forgot like Mantis Rider was like tricolor.
1: I have no idea. (laughs) I just don't understand. Yeah, maybe oh, I thought it was Mantis Rider minus a color and for somehow I thought the color it was minus was white. <laughs> the worst part, the actual worst part, oh no, the worst part was the fact that I lost a match of magic because I had it uncastable in my hand. I think it only came up the once, fortunately. I might have mulliganed a hand with it. Um no the worst part was I you know, I said I got that card like fourth or something and like took it as a teamer signal when it's not even a teamer card. <laughs> so that's like a <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty bad signal to take um but at the pro tour after party that night i like went up to chapin and like i may have not been um anyway um, and i'm like hey did i take your draft i'm like because you were teamer. he ended up being teamer that draft he was passing to me and i'm like you were teamer and i was teamer did i ruin your draft and he's like yeah yeah you did <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I think that High Spire Mantis might have cost both me and Chapin a few percentage points there.
0: (laughs) You didn't just tell him that you're like, well, I did you a solid because I took a High Spire Mantis. (laughs) 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 I was like, you want to talk about innovation? I took a white card in a teamer
1: deck. Oh, I really wish there had been a land in my deck that would have let me cast it. So I like wouldn't feel so bad. I remember if there was like a five color land in that format. I don't think there was. Or if I had like, because I could have played a Mystic Monastery for like the blue and the red fixing. And then exactly. like, the white wouldn't have mattered. But no, I did not happen to have anything like that. I just <laughs> had it uncastable. <laughs>
0: That's insane! You were just like, I would give up all my pro points if this white Madison Bolt was a Phyrexian white Madison Bolt. <laughs> like,
1: oh, oh, for sure. Whole oh, donate all the pro points I would get from the Pro Tour to like the prize pool. Just like, I don't need them. I'll play for cash only for this <laughs> a Phyrexian white symbol.
0: So, what did uh, Li Shitian? Was he just like looking at you, like, what is she doing? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> Fortunately, I never had to show the high spider mantis because, like, I've noticed it before. I tried to cast it; oh, like,
0: it was okay. just in my
1: hand. So, uh, that's just like I don't know what he thought I was tapping mana for, but <laughs> <laughs> but he ended up winning, so I don't think he thought about it too much. He was, you were trying
0: to like a turbo bluff, <laughs> you? <Yeah.
1: laughs> just like, yeah, the the best bluff. Like, I'm gonna tap four, and like my body language must have been like so happy too. I'm like, I'm gonna play this solid card. It's probably gonna dominate the battlefield. This, oh. I don't have another play, huh?
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. That's just too ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. That's too funny.
1: Oh, that was... Oh. So, yeah. So, now I, have, like, you know, I, like, took a couple years off of it for the shame. But now I'm like, dead set, get back to the pro tour and redeem myself. Like, goal for my next pro tour, don't register a card I can't cast. That's
0: it. That's amazing. Well, you know, like look what you said earlier, Jadeen, about like really getting back onto the pro tour. You know, a lot of people talk about magic really isn't a solo activity. It really has to do with being on a team and playtesting and kind of being around some other people. Are there some people in the magic community that have made a really positive and impactful you know presence in your life?
1: Brad Nelson for starters he was the Grand Prix in Cincinnati I talked about uh, where I lost two winnings he beat me in round 15 and was apparently somewhat impressed by our match but uh he was the person who got me like my first article on SCG and got me like a lot of the notoriety that I now enjoy and I think I owe somewhat to him just like putting my name out there as somebody who had some idea of what she was doing. Recently, Emma Handy has made just a tremendous difference. Uh, Having a friend on the circuit uh, is just so much better than not having a friend on the circuit. Yeah. Uh, It makes me want to travel a lot more uh, and play like a lot more. I mean, I was pretty low on Magic for a while in like, uh, what are we right now, mid-2017. So I guess it would have been like... A lot of 2016, I was pretty low on Magic uh, and not really playing very much. And then towards the end of the year, I started playing a lot more. And yeah, Emma Handy has definitely been a huge positive impact on my career in that time.
0: Yeah, Emma is really awesome. And do you just both plan to go to the same opens, like go to the same events or
1: yeah it was really easy for a while uh because we were both doing all the opens uh I took second at uh Invitational in uh August of last year, and that put me like in a spot where I wanted to try and make a go at the points race to get an invite to the players championship. so mm-hmm. I decided to play all the opens in like from August to December of last year uh which I mean I had not been grinding like at all before that and Emma was also going to all of them because Emma goes to all the opens. We ended up doing that and since then it's worked out pretty well that we've both been concentrating on the SEG tour so we basically go to the same tournaments. I use her house these days as a via point a lot. <laughs> I just like drive solo an awful lot, and she lives kind of close to the tournament, so I'll like drive there, sleep for one night, and then we'll drive together to the tournament, stuff like that.
0: And is there a reason why you play on the SCG tour? Because it's like a different size, you know, tournament structure, and then does it have like a different price payout or EV or something?
1: I play on the SCG tour because I've been playing on the SCG tour. Uh, <laughs> kind of a self fulfilling prophecy, but. Like the fact that i got into that position where a points race made sense last year made me do it and now i like i have like i had two buys for the entirety of season one this year the first six months and i have like one buy now so like i have relative advantage on that circuit plus like not as big as grand prix and i kind of has been falling out of favor with like huge crowds and huge tournaments. And I hadn't, like, cared about the Pro Tour as much, so, like, the SEG circuits made a lot of sense, but starting to get that Pro Tour itch again, so I'll probably be starting to play more Grand Prix again. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Do you have any upcoming GPs that you are planning to attend?
1: Uh, you know, I probably do. I, I'm really bad at planning tournaments more than, like, a month <laughs> ahead. <laughs> so, like, I know this month I'm playing an Open in Syracuse and an Open in Richmond, And then there's a Grand Prix in Indianapolis that I've been thinking about, but I'm not sure it's limited. And I don't know if that's where I want to dive back in. And then there's a Grand Prix in Washington, D.C. in the beginning of September. That's standard. That's like a high possibility, but kind of too far out for me to have made a decision yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you stream, (laughs) Jadine?
1: No, my computer is a potato. Hopefully it doesn't crash during (laughs) this. So, you know, it's hard to build a viewer base that way. But uh, I guessed on Emma's stream, uh, you know, more than a little less than a lot. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, If my computer could handle streaming and like hopefully someday I decide to spend the money on getting one that will I like probably will stream because I think it's a lot of fun, but not at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess your laptop is turning your streaming experience into like Goblin Streamer. It's like flip a coin. If you lose the flip, your stream crashes or something like that.
1: Oh, it's like really bad. It's like <laughs> the computer like makes this buzzing sound where <laughs> like it just stops and it just is like, <laughs> and, like nothing's happening. And I like have to like hold down the power button and get it to turn off and then turn it back on and then, you know, we'll sit through the couple minute boot cycle and then race into Moto and just like hope that I can get there before the 10 minutes are up.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, I play I play a good deal of Magic Online. I think it's one of the best tools out there for getting better at Magic. Easiest way to get better at Magic is to play against better people and Magic Online has unless you are very lucky to live in like one of the few areas with like a concentrated population of good players who play locally. Uh like Madison, Wisconsin for Limited, that kind of good, like Magic Online is probably gonna give you access to a better player base than your local store has and I think it's a great tool. You also get games in faster than you do at a store. So, like, there's just a lot of advantages to it. I play almost exclusively online when, besides like tournaments.
0: What kind of advice do you have for players that are new to Magic Online? Like what they should do? Are they going to just like buy into a deck? Or do they should just say buy a bunch of event tickets? Or A
1: couple months ago, I started renting cards uh, for Magic Online. Like I pay like $60 a month or something for like a credit line for enough ticks for like whatever deck. And it's been like... One of the better things I've ever done because, like, trying to maintain a Moto account collection is, like, expensive. And if you want to change decks, it's really cost prohibitive. Uh, if you, like, sell your deck and buy another deck and then. A week later, you're like, oh, I don't really know if this is the deck I want to play. So you sell, you lose a lot of value if you're constantly like selling cards to buy new cards. But like renting cards is like relatively new to Moto. I think I started first hearing about it like six months ago, something like that. But it's been so nice. I'm so glad I started doing that.
0: Wow, that is actually really cool. Is there a particular service you like to use or you just...
1: Yeah, I don't know how many there are. Uh, the one I use is called Mana Traders and it's like been great for me so far.
0: Wow, that's so cool. Okay, well, that's a really good tip. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've just been like blown away because like, I don't know, like I play Magic Online a lot and... You know, I win a good deal, but it's like all the profit I would make from winning just gets like sunk into buying new cards. So (laughs) I started spending like $60 a month and like the first week I did it, I like paid (laughs) because I could now sell the stuff I win instead of like reinvesting it. I like paid for like five months or something like the first couple weeks. And I was like, this is great. This is what I've always wanted. Now wow. I can actually get something out of this because I don't have to keep wasting what I win in the cards to win more.
0: That's incredible. So in a sense, I mean, you're good enough to play Magic Online and kind of go infinite in like Magic Online with whatever your constructed winnings
1: are. In the good times. There's also bad times, but yeah. <laughs> 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 in the time when I was like playing a deck that's actually good and feeling good, like yeah. We can get some money out of Magic Online.
0: That's really cool. Well, Jadeen, I mean, you definitely have a strong academic background, like we had talked about before, but you're also a really prolific writer. You've written for years on TCG Player, and now you're writing on Star City games. Could you share with the listening audience just kind of like how you theorize magic? Earlier, you were talking about how you don't go kind of like into the numbers as much as you do with intuition. And so, kind of like, what is your intuitional theory or kind of like how you really treat magic as a game?
1: The great thing about magic, the best thing about magic, the thing that has made it as successful as it is, hopefully will be for many years is that it can be so many different things to so many different people and people who just play casually uh, with their friends and just like play you know they're not even playing commander or 60 card casual they're just like throwing cards together and having a great time and then even in the competitive scene like it's not even like people playing casual and people playing competitive and it's like a couple ways but like competitive people there's people who care about brewing and what they want to do is build decks and get them to be as good as they can against the meta. And they like nothing more than seeing their creation hold their own, its own against like the meta. And that's awesome. And then there's people who like tuning decks. There's just so many different skills and magic that you can concentrate on. For me, I care about the gameplay. Like, when am I supposed to play this card? When am I supposed to make this attack? How am I supposed to block? Like, all the decisions in game are, like, what's really interesting to me and what I focus on. I tell people sometimes that uh, the best thing Wizards could do for Magic, for me, not at all for people as a whole, it would be awful for the game, but for me, would be to stop putting booster packs, stop doing anything, and just, like print 75 card uh product and just like you have to play one of these printed decks and there's like six (laughs) decks or something and it's like it it's just and like obviously that's terrible for the game wizards shouldn't do it but that would be what i would i would love that so much because all i want to do is play like you know the cards i have in my deck i know the cards you have in your deck and we're gonna battle and the winner is gonna be the person who knows more about how these cards line up most of the time
0: that is so interesting Jadeen, what would you say is kind of like an intellectual thing that you believe about the game of Magic that many other people would vehemently disagree with?
1: I guess this is like kind of what I was like just talking about with the gameplay. But I think a lot of people enter tournaments with like this idea that their work is done. You know, they registered this deck and like either the deck is going to be good for the metagame, they're going to hit their good matchups or they're not. And it's kind of like, well... Basically, I would say the thing that I believe is that gameplay matters a lot more than other people think it does. It's like, I feel like there's a lot of competitive people who kind of like think about metagaming a lot and they're like, okay, so I want to have a deck that's like 60% against the field or whatever. Kind of are just like, so I played my three drop on three and I played my four drop on four and it just got dominated because this is a bad matchup. I'm all about finding the ways to like do other things like holding your three drop until four if necessary Uh, talking of level up moments that's like one of the things there was this match i played in an open several years ago where i lost because i played my loxodon smiter on turn three the turn you want to cast loxodon smiter Uh instead of just doing nothing i didn't have a removal spell to use with the mana i didn't have anything to do it was like a mid-range mirror and if i had just not played my thing i would have won the game huh because they like use their mana to remove it if i hadn't planned anything they wouldn't have been able to use their mana so that was free uh and then they beat me with a scavenging use that was only fast enough to win because there was one more creature in the yard huh. and like the the smiter i played just wasn't relevant to the game and like i knew it wasn't going to be relevant but it was like i just looked at it and i was like oh it's this or nothing so i guess i'll play it and then it ended up costing me
0: huh fascinating that's really fascinating. I play a lot of modern Jund. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, now modern Jund is not so much the hotness with all this Death Shadow running around and Eldrazi Tron. But, uh, but back in the day when Jund was good, <laughs> it was just like, it's like, people would just like play creatures and be like, sweet, terminate that, eat that. <laughs> like, you know, it's yep. just like, this is sweet. And now, I guess it's like really thinking about what resources you have and what your game plan is and also what resources your opponent has and also what's your opponent's game plan. So, sometimes, you know, that doing nothing is really interesting and also gameplay does matter
1: yeah for sure
0: jayden do you have any advice for players that are trying to get on the pro tour
1: Uh, if possible take more shots like you know it's a grind to get onto the pro tour like it really is like you can be great you can deserve it and you're going to have to play a few grand prix a few pptqs make it to a few rptqs until you get there uh don't get discouraged and just keep going and i think the other thing is never stop learning like don't get into this mindset where you're like well I'm good enough to make it out of the pro tour I'm better than this guy and they made it out of the pro tour a while ago and like I know I'm better and like even if you are better even if you are good enough to be on the pro tour like you can still get better and there's no reason not to like never get so frustrated that you don't have the results that your ability that you think your ability should give you that you stop improving because there is no cap in magic. I firmly believe that this is another thing that I think I believe that a lot of other people don't is that there's just no limit to how good you can be at Magic. Uh, even the best players in the world make mistakes and you're not one of the best players in the world. So just keep getting better.
0: That's awesome. And Jadeen, what advice do you have for new or novice players at Magic?
1: Assuming you're trying to get into the competitive scene, which, you know, that was most of where my advice is geared because that's what I do. Uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like, just try things. Like... You can't learn. So let's say you're playing this deck and somebody told you that you're supposed to play, uh, so you're playing burn. You know, you started playing modern and somebody was like, here, burn's an easy deck for a new player. Play this. And they're like, oh, you're like, okay, what do I do? And they're like, okay, so always play Goblin Guy no one. There's no circumstance where you shouldn't play a Goblin Guy no one. Experiment and don't be afraid of being wrong. Like, I don't think anything in magic is purely algorithmic. Nothing is just like always true. And if you ever get an inkling that the time to break this rule is here, like just try it. No match of magic is more important than learning something. So if you ever have a spot where you're like, Huh, I wonder if playing Swift Spear on turn one is better than Goblin Guide because of whatever reason you've come up with, like try it. You're not you can't learn if you are so scared of making a mistake that you never try anything new.
0: Yeah, just play the game. Try things out. See how things are.
1: Absolutely. I, I like when I'm playing Moto. I'm just like constantly doing things. I'm like, I see two lines, and I'm like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really understand what's going on. If I take this line, so I'm going to do that this game because you know, like the match I'm playing on Moto for five dollars or whatever just isn't as important to me as the opportunity to learn something.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And Dean, what's new for you? Like, what's coming up on the horizon?
1: not a ton right now i guess the the eventual transition to trying to re-qualify to for the pt is probably the newest thing i don't know exactly how that's working but we have a couple more scg events coming up and then we're gonna see
0: very cool very cool okay everyone we'll have more from Jadeen in just a little bit but first a message from our sponsors hey listeners sam here if you're enjoying my interviews with your favorite MTG celebrities, wouldn't it be nice to receive a gift from them? Become a supporter at patreon.com slash magic and each month I'll send out signed cards and cool swag from my guests. For just a few bucks a month, you could get signed cards from Sheldon Mennery, The Magic Man Sam, Dan Burdick, Dev from Strictly Better MTG, Josh Lee Kwai and more. I have some super cool gifts lined up for later this season that you won't want to miss. Head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic and support the show. The magic man Sam says this, and I love it so I'm borrowing it, thank you very much to all of my supporters, past, present, and future. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. CardKingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck texts by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for Chase Rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com/ktm. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the Kitchen Table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash ParagonCityGames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews, and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Okay, and we are back. Jadeen. I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, let's go. Fire at will, or uh, Jade, I guess, Mm -hmm. in this case.
0: Okay. Awesome. Rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why?
1: All right. I need to clarify something first. Is this rapid fire like... I'm supposed to answer immediately or rapid fire, like I should say my answers as fast as possible.
0: (laughs) That's great. I'm glad you're clarifying. Um, No, you don't have to say them as quickly as possible. um, And you don't have to answer uh, their rapid fire questions, but not necessarily rapid fire answers. So you could just say whatever you'd like. You can explain it. You don't have to, we can discuss it. Um, It's totally up to you.
1: So that's a no on the talking fast, because I had a D&D <laughs> character in high school who was just somebody who talked really fast and just like, annoyed the whole play group. It was great.
0: Well, you could do that. I would love that. That would be great. Oh, no. I wasn't. I was... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to do it, I'd love that, actually. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now I'm on the spot. <laughs> now you're on the spot. Well, JJ, right. which is your favorite color? <laughs> All
1: right. Blue uh, blue's my favorite color even though it shouldn't be, just because like I never play blue cards. I kinda hate blue cards. I really hate counter spells, but blue is still my favorite color kind of because it's one of my favorite colors like in the world. And it's like the color of intelligence, which was this thing that I prided myself on as a youth and I no longer do, but it's still kind of just ingrained in my character, so I still really like blue.
0: <laughs> and which color would you pair it with?
1: Uh, normally, I would pair it with white because I have kind of this, like, good person thing, and blue-white is the classic good combination, <laughs> and, like, like as a kid, if I ever liked evil characters, I was, like, really mad at myself because, like, that's not okay. You're supposed to be a good person, so I still have this weird, like, like, I'm super over that, but I still have this weird ingrained, like, good is good thing.
0: <laughs> you have, like, this good person thing? <laughs> That is
1: hilarious.
0: Okay, great. Well, the rapid fire question number two. J. if you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be?
1: Uh, let's see. Well, we talked earlier about how I would like to just have 75 card constructed pre but but like, that's not <laughs> actually a good idea. So like that's my answer. If you want to know the thing that you could change about Magic, that would make it the best for me. But the actual answer is that Magic success is so like unbelievable and just so ridiculous and I don't understand it, but I wouldn't change anything because I'd be so scared of messing something up. Because I have no idea what Magic is as popular as it is, but I love it and like I don't want to mess with anything.
0: Okay. Well, that's I love that. Okay, great. Well, uh, JJ, rapid fire question number three: If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be?
1: A world peace. Like I mean, like they're playing Magic and that's great, so they deserve a peaceful life.
0: Rapid fire question number four: What do you see in the future of Magic: The Gathering?
1: All right. Well, lucky for you, Sam, I have my crystal ball right here, so I'm gonna go (laughs) ahead and look into it and see what there is for the future of Magic: The Gathering. I see more tournaments. I see more cards printed. I see more people playing the game every day, and you know what? It looks really great. And now the crystal ball is going dark
0: <laughs> thank you for scrying that up for us nice. and,
1: <laughs> <Well done. laughs>
0: and last Dean, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience like where they can find you on social
1: um like read my articles in star city games uh i think they're pretty good and a lot of people like them so like that's a great thing to do and then uh i have a twitter at the quiet fish um Wish it was at Quiet Fish, but alas, it is not. So at the Quiet Fish, it is, and like, feel free to follow me. That would be great. Ask me questions. I'll probably answer them, depending on what day you catch me. Um, yeah. So go ahead and do that.
0: Super sweet. And why is your Twitter handle the Quiet Fish?
1: Uh, you know, I can't. So Quiet Fish is like, I don't know, this like high school thing where I was sitting on a bed and was like, you know, what's really cool? Quiet Fish because I'm quiet. And I don't know about fish, but like, that's what it is. So, we're there. <laughs> so like, that was my handle on like a few things for a while. And, uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't remember who has at quietfish on Twitter. There's like a few things where quietfish has been stolen from me by some knave. I think on Twitter, it might be the Canadian mom with like the lifestyle blog. Oh my uh, gosh. But that might be something else too. But somebody has at quietfish and is very upsetting. Like,
0: we are. <laughs> Could you just tweet that person and just call them a knave? <laughs> <laughs> And then you could egg on the entire magic community to also call them a knave because that would be ridiculous. I mean, that would kind of be cyberbullying. So, no, don't do that. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. I won't do it,
1: but I share the sentiment. (laughs) Twitter might also be the one where it's just like a foreign language account, so I have no idea who it is. I don't know. There's a Canadian mom somewhere who uses quiet fish.
0: Uh, is there like quiet underscore fish or quiet hyphen fish? Do they let you do that?
1: I don't know. I never tried. I don't know why I went with the. It's been a while.
0: But I think the is appropriate because there's only one because you're, you're the. You're yeah. the quiet fish.
1: Yeah, I could have also done like quietest fish, which kind of accomplishes the same thing, but I think the quiet fish is better than that.
0: If you were the quiet fish and you were really good at magic, maybe you are the fish that is like whispering into Dark Confidant's ear. you know because there's there's fish bob and then there's skrillex so you know for bob you've got your fish buddy
1: like i mean i'm all about greatness at any cost so i'm in
0: okay Awesome, awesome. Well, listeners, I will have all the links to Jadine's social at The Quiet Fish, as well as to her articles at kitchentablemagic.org. They will be in the show notes there. Jadine, thank you so much. You are hilarious and wonderful. And you have also been a brilliant thinker, competitor, and also teacher of the game. I really appreciate everything that you do and you sharing your energy and kind of putting yourself out there to make magic a better game and also to make magic a more interesting game. Um, You've been a really prolific writer on like TCG player as well as SCG so thank you so much for everything you do and uh, also your guest roles uh, with Emma Handy on her stream are hilarious I know that she trolls you a lot
1: yeah isn't it mean it's just so rude (laughs) but you don't troll back kind of the dynamic.
0: I, I troll back sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, and also listeners, be sure to watch uh, Emma's stream because you will often find J. on there doing funny things. And J. one day when you do get a computer that is not a potato, you'll also have to stream and it'll be highly entertaining. Because I really think, especially with like, you know, SCG having like their Versus series, I would love to see a Versus series uh, with you and Emma because you both are very brilliant thinkers and competitors of the game.
1: That would be a great day thanks so much for having me sam and like thanks to everybody who's listening appreciate it a lot hope everybody has a good day and enjoyed it
0: I had a great time talking to Jay Dean. Follow Jay Dean's antics on Twitter at The Quiet Fish. You can find Jadeen's articles on StarCityGames.com and TCG Player Archives. And if you see her at a tournament, go bother her. <laughs> I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Brian, James L, Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark. Aaron M., Neil, James G., Aaron C., Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E., Joe, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, and Garant. Supporters at the $6 level or higher are getting signed cards from my guests. Equal Treatment from Sheldon Mennery, Young Pyromancer from The Magic Man Sam, Fill Out Our Guardian from Dan Burdick, and Monza's Goblin Raiders from Dev of Strictly Better MTG. Listeners, if you'd like to support the show and get special gifts from my guests, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. Now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com/slash KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash PlayMTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shoutout on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at Play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PlayMTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content, and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.
2: When I uh, originally created and put together these cards for Seance, it was an Esper build just because I found, you know, Seance is white, Moldrifter is blue, Shriekmaw is black, and then you also get stuff like Lone Missionary or uh, Fulminator Mage. And then shortly after Esper, I'm like, what if I could use green instead of blue, green giving access to something like Seder Wayfinder, which is really good because that fills up your graveyard and helps make land drops and that's a good effect to reuse. Green also gives you Eternal Witness, which lets you buy back that seance that you put in your graveyard from a turn two wayfinder and green gives you siege rhino which is everyone's favorite standard rhino and (laughs) being able to reuse a siege rhino effect if you know the first one died for some reason uh, is pretty powerful you win games very quickly with that card I don't know, wasn't it on Mr. Robot that they said sometimes failures can be profitable? <laughs> so that was a profitable failure of mine, so I didn't mind getting ribbed by my uh, QS readers and Brainstorm Brewery listeners. So when this guy came on the scene and was like, buy them and burn him, everyone's like, hey, Jason. <laughs> I thought everyone was screwing with me, just like, oh, yeah, Seance, that's you, because cause you're Seance. I don't know who it is. It could be a Seance girl, it could be Seance group of people, I don't know. I never had enough copies of Seance that if I gave someone forty thousand dollars in bitcoins, I would make that money back on Seance going up a couple of dollars. Yeah, I'm not making forty grand on. <laughs> if I had every copy of Seance that I ever bought to this day, still, I don't know what it would have to hit for me to make forty grand. But yeah, uh, I'll save my bitcoins. Thank you. Are you Seance Guy? I mean, no, but wouldn't I say I wasn't, even if I were?
0: I don't know. Actually, I have no idea.
2: Seance guy would have copped to it if they were interested in being known, right? The fact that I'm denying it only says that I have a good narrative for denying it. I have to imagine that if I were Seance guy, and I weren't publicly, my identity weren't publicly known at this point, it's probably because I wouldn't want it to be. So I would just say I wasn't. <laughs> Insofar as you can believe what I say, it's it's not me. And I don't know who it is. But also, I'm pretty sure that if I did know who it is, I probably wouldn't tell people because it's just too much fun. The mystery surrounding it is too much fun. That that goober uploading the video of him burning the big old stack of stances just made me laugh.
0: I'm talking to pro player Zach Elsick and MTG finance expert Jason Alt about the magic community's spookiest mystery, Seance. Two years ago, Reddit user jobs141910 created a post giving users a bounty to purchase and destroy as many copies of Seance as possible. Then, about a year ago, the same mysterious user offered a reward of $40,000 worth of bitcoins to whoever pilots a Seance deck to prominence on the Pro Tour. Pro player Zach Elzik talks to us about how to build a competent seance deck. MTG finance expert Jason Alt joins us to enlighten us on the mystery that is Seance Guy. And if we seance hard enough, the person at the center of this mystery, Reddit user Jobs141910, might reach out to us through the depth of the internet. Join us for this special Halloween episode where we conjure the ghosts and spirits of Magic Reddit all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.